Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into the gospel that you will hear on Sunday. And uh, if you are listening to this radio program by way of podcast, just not within this diocese, the Sacramento Diocese, or state, or even country, but also in the countries of Brazil, Argentina, Chile, France, Portugal, Spain, England, Italy, India, Australia, uh, the Philippines, Malaysia. I've been getting some of your feedback, and I just appreciate all of you out there taking time out of your schedule. Uh, Once again, I could never thank you enough to have you listening to this radio program certainly means a lot to me, and quite honestly, by the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit, convicts me to always uh, be present to your needs out there as we continue to, from one night to the next, take up the various aspects of our Christian and Catholic faith that have us going deeper. You know, on Monday we get into uh, the great Christian thinkers. On Tuesday, it is about Pope Francis. On Wednesday, it is about theology of the body. And Thursday, it's certainly about the gospel and sacred scriptures. So we we take kind of one broad brushstroke, but with that brushstroke, we are certainly attentive to the detail. And we are so because we have been at it for quite some time now. And again, I just want to thank you for all of your feedback, and I just wanted to continue to encourage you to send me your feedback, send me your questions, comments, observations to either my email at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can just go to joholcraft.org, click the the contact link there, and send your email on its way. Um, It really is important for me to get your feedback. So with that, this evening we are about, what, Trinity Sunday. So certainly we are going to be talking the stuff of the Trinity, and we will do so out from a a reading that should uh, be familiar to us because we touched upon this recently, and this is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, and those closing verses, the commissioning of the disciples, and I'll go ahead and read those now. Again, Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. Amen. So what's the stuff of all authority? huh? The Father vindicates His Son, Jesus, at His resurrection and gives Him full dominion over creation. And what we have in this passage is Jesus conferring His authority on the apostles to do what? Preach the gospel, make disciples as witnesses of His resurrection. Now, it's really interesting 
the likes of a C.S. Lewis and also Cardinal Schoenborn, among others, have made note of this language, this phrase, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, think about that for a second. There are only two possibilities here. Either these words are true, or Jesus was fantasizing wildly, as C.S. Lewis says, a complete lunatic, okay? Only someone who is God can say something like that. Only God who is all-powerful. Only if Jesus is God can he pronounce these words without presumption. Only if Jesus is the Son of God has he the right to urge that all men should become his disciples. I mean, imagine. (laughs) If a mortal man were to expect all people on earth to become his followers, he would be immeasurably exaggerating his own importance. God, however, who created all things, can invite his creatures to trust him entirely. Because Jesus is genuinely a man, we can make a picture of him. Because Jesus is genuinely God, he can promise, I am with you always, forever, through all ages. Because Jesus is both God and man, he can invite all men to become his friends, his disciples. You have heard me talk about the invitation at great lengths. This is the first step to all discipleship, that we respond to his invitation. An invitation that is not lunacy, that is not some wild fantasizing of some prophet, but no, the God-man, the Son of God. This is who invites us. And because it is the God-man who invites us, we respond. He does not impose, he proposes. He does not coerce, browbeat, shove something down our throat. No, he simply says, come and see, come and see. And to the disciples, he says, what? Go therefore. This commission, and remember, commission, cum missio, to be sent with, right? To evangelize and catechize the world fulfills God's covenant oath going all the way back to Abraham that all nations would be blessed. What's that great covenant back in Genesis 22:18 that God promises to Abraham that all nations in his line will be blessed and that their numbers will be greater than the stars in the heaven. I mean, my friends, it is to remember that this is the gospel of Matthew that we just read. How does the gospel of Matthew open up but in Matthew 1:1 that Jesus Christ is the son of who? the son of Abraham and the son of David. It was very important for Matthew, writing to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience, which means writing to an audience who understands the significance of all of the great covenants in the Old Testament, and that in the end, Jesus belonged to this line. You hear the word gospel, you think good news, transforming message, repent and believe the good news. Why is Matthew wasting time on our Lord's pedigree, his ancestry, his family tree. Well, it was to remind all of those who were doubting where he came from and what a reminder it was. Mm. This is all very important. So Christ's outline for the church's mission in these verses is threefold. First, 
that it is evangelizing all nations, which entails the conversion of just not individuals, but also entire cultures. That once individuals convert to Jesus Christ in time, cultures will convert to Jesus Christ. Every area of life must be brought under the lordship of Christ and in line with the gospel. This is what evangelizing all nations is about. Soul by soul, person by person, we evangelize the person of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, cultures as a whole will be conformed to the gospel. The second key principle here is the administration of the sacraments and how it is essential to the church's mission and identity. Baptize, he says. Baptize new converts that they may be given the grace and assistance to participate more fully in the divine life of God. And third, if the church at its heart is about evangelizing and at its heart is about the sacraments, it is also a teaching church. As Paul reminds us emphatically, it is a church that is called to hand on the faith. And as Jesus just spoke to it in these verses, to teach all that he commanded them to teach, to teach all that he bore witness to, that through the ages we might have a conversation with the past because from one generation to the next, there have been faithful disciples who have handed on the faith. It's to remember, Jesus did not say, write this. He said, preach this, do this, teach this. In the preaching and in the doing and in the teaching, it is about evangelizing the sacraments, do this in remembrance of me, and certainly the teaching, the handing on. That's the oral tradition. The sacred tradition is about the handing on of the faith. You see, what did Paul say? Be steadfast to that which I have handed on to you orally, that I have passed on to you orally by word of mouth. You see, my friends, so very important to see this threefold mission of the church for what it is. Now, we have this threefold mission. Let us take a closer look into why this passage is selected for Trinity Sunday. What does verse 19 say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is the sacrament of baptism that incorporates all Christians into the divine family of the Trinity as children of God. The single name of the Father, Son, and Spirit reveals the unity of God's very inner life and the oneness of his nature. This single expression, as one St. Francis de Sales reminds us, is the single most important expression in the Christian and Catholic faith. There are no more important words than those words, as he says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One Father Cantal Mesa, the pontifical preacher to the Curie in Rome, you've heard me talk about him before, makes an interesting observation. He, he says, if you think about it, the whole Christian life develops completely in the sign and presence of the Trinity. 
What does he mean? Well, at the dawn of life, we were well baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of our bedside, the words are recited. Go forth from this world, O Christian soul, in the name of God, the Almighty Father who created you, in the name of Jesus Christ who redeemed you, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you. The Alpha and Omega points of our life are about the Trinity. And incidentally here, remember, the passage from 2819, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Greek for in is actually into, so baptize into. There's something about that word, into, which communicates something different. This process of immersion. It's, you know, you're crossing a threshold. There's a new point, and that new point in the sacrament of baptism, well, is being incorporated into the very life of God. This threshold is new life, new life in the Spirit of God. As it relates to what Father Cantalamesa was saying, these Alpha and Omega points, he goes on to say that, you know, between these two extreme moments, there are others called transition that, for a Christian, are marked by the invocation of the Trinity. Huh? Think of it. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, spouses are united in marriage and priests are consecrated by a bishop. If you were to go back into the past, contracts, sentences, and all important acts of civil and religious life began in the name of what but the Trinity. So we have to see the importance of the Trinity in our very life. So many people say out there, well, the Trinity is just some remote mystery, irrelevant to everyday life. On the contrary, when you talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are talking about those three most intimate persons in life. They're not outside of us, as a wife or husband is, but within us. What does John 14, 23 say? They make their home in us. We are their temple. So why do Christians believe in the Trinity? Isn't it already uh, difficult enough to believe that God exists? And then we add this one and triune God? I mean, you think about it, come on. Christians believe that God is one and triune, a unity and distinction because we believe that God is love. If you are a faithful listener out there, you know well what the Trinity is because I'm constantly resourcing the Trinity on anything that I talk about. Why? Because it highlights that truth. God is love. And this revelation that God is love is made by Jesus and has at once obliged us to admit the Trinity. My dear friends, this is not a human invention. I mean, if you think about this, if God is love, he has to love someone, right? There is no love in the void without an object. But whom does God love to be defined love? Men? But men have existed only for thousands of years, no more. The cosmos, the universe, well, the universe has existed for only billions of years. Before whom did God love? To be able to define himself as love. We cannot say that he loved himself, because this would not be love, but some radical egoism or narcissism. My dear friends, 
the answer to this is simply found in the person of Jesus Christ. Because from all eternity, he has in his bosom a son, the word, the one he loves with an infinite love. That is, (laughs) with the Holy Spirit. In every love, there are always three realities or subjects. One who loves, one who is loved, and the love that unites them. In other words, as I've spoken to it before, love given, love received, and love shared. The Christian God is one and triune because he is, as John Paul II would so often like to talk about, a communion of love. And what's more, and why this is so important for us, is that love creates a unity in diversity. Think of it. In the human realm of married love, there is a unity of intentions, thought, and will. Not at the cost of losing our uniqueness, but at the surplus, we can say, of what? Gaining our uniqueness. What do I mean? Well, in the sacrament of marriage, one learns the language of looking out for other and both caring for spouse and children. And in so doing, that person begins to learn the language of love because sacrifice becomes a part of that language. And my dear friends, when sacrifice becomes a part of the language of your everyday family life, that kind of love is going to cast a light on who you are and bring out the uniqueness of how God created you in his image and likeness. You see, God does not get in the way of our individuality as secular culture would assume. No, he reveals it, has it shine forth as this great gift for the world. It was no accident that when creating the first human couple, God said, what? In Genesis 1, and 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? Let us. It's interesting. The next time you see this language of imaging is in Genesis 5, 3, when Adam and Eve are imaging, right? With their firstborn. <laughs> when two become one and give life to a third, the human family reflects imperfectly, but still nonetheless, the divine family. Because when you talk about the Trinity, what do you talk about, right? But the Father and the Son becoming one in love. So when husband and wife become one in love and create life, they begin to reflect the language of the Trinity. Families learn the language of the Trinity fluently when it enters into the dynamism, the forcefulness of what Christ reveals about the Trinity, what that love is all about, which he reveals on the cross. What is that great passage that comes to us in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, that Jesus did not deem equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of, of a slave. He was obedient, obedient unto death, death on a cross. You see, my friends, in that moment, in his Via della Rosa, what we have is a profound insight into the life of the Trinity, that this communion of love is about 
sacrum fitse, sacrifice. Because this communion of love is about holiness. And again, remember what sacrum fitse means, to make holy. All of our sacrifices and the concreteness of our everyday life, my friends, is the stuff of holiness, is the stuff of holiness. And we should never forget that because this is what lies at the heart of our faith, and this is what lies at the heart of how we share in the very life of the Trinity. This dynamic interpersonal communion of love reveals to us that at its core, it is sacrifice. And never forget the words of John Paul II, that God is not some abstract solitude, but He is family. Because in the Trinity, you have fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of family, which is love. So for all of us who belong to families and who have spouses and have started new families, we have been given an opportunity, both in where we come from in our original families and also in the families we have started, have an opportunity to share in the very inner life of the Trinity. Now, it's interesting, as Father Canton de Mesa puts forth, according to some modern atheists, God is often seen as no more than a projection that man makes of himself, as one who confuses with another person his own image reflected in a stream. This might be true in regard to any other idea of God, but not in regard to the Christian God. What need would man have to divide himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if God is really no more than the projection that man makes of his own image? My dear friends, the doctrine of the Trinity is on its own, in its own way, the best antidote to modern atheism when you really start to think about it critically. It really is an interesting thing when you talk about the Trinity as the foundation of our faith in light of this interpersonal communion of love, this fellowship, this friendship, this first family, this first society, all these things. It is in another way fascinating when you start talking about the Trinity as a response to atheism. Our God is an amazing God. So my dear friends, I pose to you some questions. Does the doctrine of the Trinity seem too difficult? Does the Trinity intimidate you, or does the Trinity strike a fear in you? Does the Trinity seem impossible to understand? I again turn to Father Canto de Mesa, who responds to these questions, who responds to our concerns, with a reflection that I absolutely love. When one is on the shore of a lake or a sea, and wishes to know what is on the other side, what is most important is not to sharpen one's sight and try to scan the horizon, but to get into the boat that takes one to that shore. With the Trinity, what is most important is not to ruminate on the mystery so as to lose faith, but to remain in the faith of the church, which is the boat that takes one to a deeper understanding of the Trinity. My friends, when Jesus Christ was here on earth, he slowly revealed himself to those who were closest to him. And after his resurrection and, and ascension, he continued to slowly reveal himself. And here we are 2,000 years later, and what does he do? 
but he slowly reveals himself to us. He gradually unveils the deeper truth concerning the greatness and the power of his love. What have we talked about in the past as it relates to mystery? But that inexhaustible reality. We know more of what lies up there in the sun and the moon and the stars than what lies at the bottom of our ocean floors. There's great mystery. Now, because we don't know what lies at the bottom of our ocean floors, do we stop in trying to discover what sits at the bottom of our ocean floors? No. Anyone who works for any outfit that is about exploring the depths of, of our waters would never seize that quest. And so it is, my dear friends, <laughs> that we should never seize in that quest, in that inquiry about the depths the inexhaustible depths of God's love, that quest into the inexhaustible mystery, mindful that God will slowly reveal more and more. And in so doing, slowly, bit by bit, draws deeper into his love. He will never give us what we cannot handle. And if we think we cannot handle what he's giving us, that's only a tell that we need to go deeper in our faith. It's a challenge provocatio, to call forth, to call out. He's calling us out to go deeper. Don't resist, but accept. And by the grace of God, accept it as a gift that he wants to show you something anew. And be mindful that this inexhaustible reality is his very inner life. What's the, the Greek verb to mystery? Mio. We were talking about this the other day to initiate one into the mysteries of God, typically by right and or by doctrine. Okay, we speak to this in the context, certainly, of the sacramental life. But what lies at the heart of it is this religious experience we have with God, or this religious encounter we have with God. God seeks an encounter each and every day, the same kind of encounter that we might seek out from those who are closest to us, that we might be comforted, that we might be guided, that we might come to better understand what our relationships are about. God says to us, I desire, I desire, it is my longing, and I put it in your heart that you might come to better understand what my relationship with you is all about. The Trinity, at its core, is about family and about relationships. Everything we do touches upon this reality. Let us draw from the fountain of love that is the very life of the Trinity and allow it to guide and steer everything that we do, that what we do might have deeper meaning and deeper purpose, that we might not get lost in the busyness that so often overwhelms us. Trinity Sunday is a reminder of God's love. It is a reminder that everything we do has purpose and meaning. All right. Again, before we wrap up with a word of prayer, I just want to continue to encourage you to send me any of your questions, uh, comments, and observations my way to j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. Or again, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your email on its way. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And mindful of those words of St. Francis de Sales, that there are no greater 15 words in our faith journey than those words in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we pray the glory be ever aware of this truth. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.